0: On today's episode of the SSPX podcast, we'll continue our apologetic series by looking at the broad topic of colonization. For hundreds of years, the critics argue, the Catholic Church spearheaded a cultural genocide across the globe, replacing vibrant indigenous cultures with white European culture. So, is it true? What impact did the Church have on exploratory missions? Did conversion lead to colonization? One quick note, my apologies, my audio in this episode is pretty awful, especially towards the end. Dr. Rao's is fine, and that's the important part. Uh, We had a hard time recovering any decent audio from my end, but we think it's still listenable as it is, even if it's annoying. I promise it's annoying to me as well. Thank you for your understanding. Also, don't forget, you can find notes to all of these episodes at sspxpodcast.com slash apologetics, as well as all of our previous episodes. Now, let's join Dr. John Rao for episode number 23 of our apologetic series here on the SSPX Podcast.
1: Well, great to have you back again. How are things going today? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the weather is beautiful and um and uh, I'm getting ready for my departure for the shark pilgrimage, which is nice as well. <laughs> so, oh, fantastic.
2: Fantastic. I've I've been on that twice. It is uh, uh
1: it's tough, but it's great to do. It is indeed. Unfortunately, I can't do all the walking anymore. Uh at 72 with my arthritis, I just put in a perfunctory couple of hours a day sure oh fair enough. fair enough
2: it's uh it's, it's kind of like the um the Santiago de Compostela pilgrimage right there's all these different ways to do it you can walk you know 30 days seven days you can bike you can drive it's right. whatever you can do it's great right. well safe travels um and today we're uh well we we're just talking about Santiago de Compostela too we're we'll talking about the Spanish again uh it seems like the Spanish would come up in uh, a few of these episodes that we've been talking about already um, but today we're talking about Spanish colonization, and this is another kind of hot button issue that people like to attack the Catholic Church about. So, where do we where do we find these attacks on Spanish colonization starting?
1: Well, the 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 actual attack um, begins not as an attack, but uh, a complaint uh, among the Spanish themselves, and then a series of uh, changes that are made regarding policy as a result of those complaints. But the the attack, which uses this debate among the Spanish about what uh, was happening with regard to their colonization is something that really begins because of the revolt of uh, a part of the lowlands, which was underneath Spanish rule, starting in the later part of the 1560s. And then the connection of the people who were revolting against Spain with uh, reformed Christianity, John Calvin's Christianity, and then their alliance with the English, uh, so that that under Elizabeth. And so what that ended up doing was it ended up meaning that the Dutch and the English and the Calvinists in general, along with uh, uh, the English underneath Elizabeth, uh, created uh, with reference to some uh, some sources from uh, from the Spanish themselves, the whole of what we call this black legend, which tarnishes Spanish colonization enormously, uh, I've lost hearing you. <laughs> Sorry, that was my fault. Um, before we get into the
2: Spanish colonization itself. Can we talk more broadly about colonization in general? And I'm not talking about the English colonizing India. I'm talking about more the Catholic sense, whereas the the Catholic idea or ideal, I guess I should say, of of colonization. What is the the reason? What's the purpose?
1: Well, there was actually a great debate uh, with regard to it. Um, And that great debate is something that begins long before there's any kind of um, actual colonization that's taking place. Uh, for example, some of the early canonists argued that, um, that with the coming of Christ, all, all of the regulations regarding property ownership and the like uh, disappeared uh, because they're all, in a sense, created anew from Christ. And St. Thomas Aquinas never shared that view. St. Thomas Aquinas believed that um, that nature remained nature, and as a consequence of that, it could not be the case that people could um people could uh, uh, just simply come into from christian lands uh other territories and presume that they could just take them over in fact he even argues that it's quite possible to contemplate the fact that christians could be underneath the the rule of a non-christian ruler but then what would have to happen is that you would have to have um your um your natural rights to be able to follow the truth protected um then further when you have the development of um, of uh, Thomist ideas again um which you do after a kind of um a kind of uh uh very very uh uh, uh sad uh, abandonment of all sorts of uh, so-called realist scholastic schools under the influence of nominalism in the 1300s MP. 1400s, when you have a real revival of, uh, of Thomist ideas, uh, which takes place in Spain, University of Salamanca and other spots, University of Louvain, present day Belgium. Um, and you have people, great thinkers like uh, the great Cardinal Cayetan, um, uh, who was a, a Thomist scholar from Italy. Uh, you have him arguing that The only the only way in which what you could do is is talk about um, taking over other territories justly is if what you were doing is you were taking over lands that had been stolen from 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 Christianity Um, so that, you know, you have the argument about the fact that uh, that um, the Crusaders from the very beginning were engaged in. Uh, really gaining back what had been stolen from them in the first place in Spain and then in the Near East, the Middle East. Uh, but then you also have these discussions as, for example, at Salamanca with the great Thomas thinker Vitoria, who argues that um, when you're talking about relations between Christendom and the rest of the world, that uh, you you do have potentially a a cause for war that could lead to a just conquest if what's happening is that uh, you've got uh, a a cutting off of natural contact from one place to another. And what that would mean would, let's say, for example, I mean, to give an instance of what happened when the uh, voyages of discovery began and uh, you discovered Ah, uh, the Portuguese discovered that there were Christians already that were there in India. Um, it it um, it's not a question of your taking over lands that um, that belonged to uh, a Christian uh, country beforehand. They 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 they're there these Christians, but uh, there was never a Christian state that existed. But you have, according to Victoria, a right to have. Natural contact with your fellow believers, and that right can be protected um, by someone who uh, might have uh, the ability to do so. Like, say, for example, the Portuguese, if they had a, an armed force behind the be, uh, behind them. Um, but um, there's a there's a variety of views that are there in the subject, uh, in the I mean, on the scene that then end up being played around with by uh, a variety of different people who are actually involved in the voyages of discovery uh, that take place. So, right. And that's a, that's another story that that we have to address. Sure. So, So, So in other words, what I'm saying is that there's not an agreement among Catholic thinkers about you automatically, if you discover a place that obviously has existed for the people who are living there already for right. a long time that you necessarily automatically have um, a, um a, a a a a morally good reason for taking it over right
0: okay so and again, like we've seen in in a couple of the previous podcasts there's there's always this dichotomy between the interests of a state and the interests of the right. church that are happening at the same time and and this is no different with with uh catholic spain at the time uh, ferdinand and isabella they're the ones who are as we all know famously you know financed christopher columbus to go over and they're going to be financing a lot of these expeditions it would be mm-hmm. us to think that their only mission their only goal was to convert the people there there were uh, definitely some issues of them wanting to enrich their kingdom enrich spain with these voyages of discovery yes the catholic you know uh, teaching was part of it, but uh, again, we have this kind of push and pull between the secular and the, and the religious.
1: Yeah, and it's, more, it's even more complicated than that, than that too, because we shouldn't uh, thrust all of the, um, uh, the blame for any kind of, uh, of uh, bad behavior purely on the state, because uh, a number of these activities are um, activities that involve private groups as well. Uh, that are engaging in activities that then bring the state into the picture or that the state becomes a partner of, um, because uh, uh, this is this is the case for everybody. But then you can think of that, especially when you consider enterprises, for example, the British, when they uh, they they begin their their explorations, it's it's companies that are engaged, like the British East India Company that sure. end up dragging the state along with it.
0: Sure. All right. So. Let's start to dive into the Spanish colonization itself without going into a, a lot of, you know, background history. We you know, the Spanish were starting to colonize. When were there some initial problems um,
2: with, with this colonization and how did the crown deal with these initial problems?
1: Well, um, the uh, with let's just start with Columbus. Columbus uh, was one of those people who did apparently have religious motives, among many other motives. Uh, there's always been a debate about exactly what the religious character of Columbus was. But I think that the uh, the the uh, sound money is on the fact that he had a kind of Franciscan spirituality. there' been there have been all sorts of suggestions that he was a uh, um uh, a um uh, millenarian, uh, uh, supporter of Joachim of Fiore and that he was actually a hidden Jew and you know the like. but the the sound money is that he was a a believing Catholic who had a Franciscan spirituality, and uh, nevertheless had to deal with people um, from the very beginning who were l- not interested in religious questions at all. I mean, it's important that people keep in mind as we go into the exploration of this stuff, that modern historians have discovered that among the adventurers who go along with the, um, uh, the, the exploration journeys of Columbus and then those who came after him. Uh, The the bulk of them were people who who really did not have a a sound understanding of anything religious and they were were looking for for riches. It is also interesting to note that uh, a large number of the people who get involved in the more nefarious aspects of uh, the merchant activities are precisely those groups that were being pursued by Inquis- the Inquisition back in Spain. In other words, in other words the, uh, the Moriscos and Moranos. Um, there's a heavy, heavy um, uh, Converso, as they're called, influence in there because they, they they consider themselves persona non grata back in Spain, and they they then wandered into overseas merchant expeditions in in, in Africa and then in the New World as well. So you have them too that are involved in the whole picture. And um, in the initial stages of, let's say, just dealing with the um, the Indies, um, you don't really have um, clergy, serious clergy involved. They start to get involved around 1510 in the islands, and they're Dominicans to begin with in the islands. And they are horrified right off the bat. They're horrified because They go there thinking that they're going to deal with the Indian population and they feel like they've got a bigger problem dealing with the the Spanish who were there. And by the way, the Spanish are saintly compared to a lot of the Portuguese um, so that there is an immediate, immediate uproar once the Dominicans get to the to the islands. And um, what happens is that one of them, a man named Montesinos, gives a sermon in 1511 in front of uh, all of the, um, uh, the colonists who were there. And he tells them that um, they're going to be refused absol- absolution and not be able to go to communion because uh, they are um, horrible, horrible sinners with regard to the way that they're, behave- they're, they're treating the Indians. And what this is going to do is that this is going to begin the debate. That's going to involve some of the writings um, that are going to be then utilized, particularly the writings of Bartolome de las Casas um, later on uh, by the the creators of the black legend. But it does set up a big debate in Spain um, almost immediately, um, although the initial reaction of uh, the bishop back in Spain, who's utilized by um, by I can't remember whether Isabella was dead by this time, but Ferdinand is, is still alive. Uh, the bishop that was utilized as the intermediary by Ferdinand was not interested in any of these complaints to begin with. And he's he's going to actually fall victim um, to the complaints of uh, the clergy. But then it's gonna get even more complicated because there's a, another internal debate between this initial group of Dominicans uh, in the Indies who also, by the way, are horrified by another um, uh, outburst of what they consider to be uh, bad behavior on the part of uh, explorers who end up going to Central America and then the coast of South America. But there's going to be more of a debate um, with other clergy, Franciscans, who are going to make their way to Mexico after Mexico uh, is, is um, brought into the Spanish uh, realm after 1521, and those Franciscans are just as horrified by bad behavior uh, and want the Indians treated well, but they have disagreements with the Dominicans about exactly how to go about the process of dealing with uh, the conversion of the Indians. So, you know, it's manifold, manifold battles here.
0: (laughs) A lot of complications. So,
1: what what were the initial
0: missionary... um, well, I guess first before we get into that, what, what's the arrangement that the church had with the state regarding religion in the colonies? Because from my basic learning about the history of this, the church did rely on the state. You know, priests can't go and, and charter a vessel by themselves. They rely on sailors. Uh,
2: they need protection as they're going through these unknown to them places. So there's going to be some sort of... Um, Symbiotic relationship between the church and the state, between soldiers, you know conquerors, so to speak, and clergy right. um, but how did how did that work and how did the church see its role
1: well that's a that's an extremely important question, and that uh, that is something which is going to be a real real, real central bone of contention uh, between the very beginning of colonization and then down hundreds of years afterwards, because uh, When the Portuguese began their voyages of discovery, and even just after Columbus uh, ends up going to the West Indies, what happened is that the papal authorities, uh, as I'm I'm sure you know, uh, they gave uh, total control over um, what it is that would be um, done with regard to uh, religious activity in this area to the Catholic monarchs of Portugal and of Spain um so that so that there is a um for example um uh, certainly by the 1490s and then it's 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 intensified for a little time after that as well there is a um there's a total granting of control over uh, over the um, naming of, of bishops to dioceses and and the like and um then when complaints start to come in and as we've seen, they they start to come in inside Spain from 1511 onwards. What happens is that bit by bit, Rome is going to become interested in this issue again. And uh, when Paul III takes over in the 1530s and starts to make all of these various moves that are going to really give clout to a Catholic reform, he wants to get Rome involved in the picture once more. Uh, But Uh, the Portuguese and Spanish government are not, not interested in allowing Rome to get involved. Um, Also, although I I don't want to confuse viewers too much in this regard, there is a big period of time for, I think it's 60 years, I can't remember exactly, when due to problems in the uh, Portuguese uh, 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 line of of descent for, for the monarchy, Portugal falls underneath Spanish control. So that all the Portuguese and all the Spanish possessions are under the Spanish ruler uh, down to I think about 1640 from 1580 I think till 1640, then they split again. But when Trent, when Trent meets between uh, 1545 and 1563, and it's three different uh, uh, sittings, Trent has no authority to talk about anything going on in all of these new missionary areas. So there is nothing that Trent does, that deals with these missionary areas and almost. Sorry, no, but the reason, just to make sure I'm clear. The reason for that is because the Pope had already
2: given the authority to oversee this to the Catholic monarch. So the council said, we
1: have no authority here. This is purely in the realm of the Catholic monarchy. It, it, it didn't even come up as a discussion. Uh, uh, I mean, the, the, I mean, the history of the Council of Trent is a history of tremendous battling. And uh, especially the latter, the latter session, which is the most productive, the third of the three, um, uh, it's it's great, very very difficult, and this, it's it, that's another story. That's a complicated story because uh, some of the best people who would want uh, the church to be more involved are, are Spanish themselves. But that's another thing. But what ends up happening, and you can see this uh, very quickly after Trent, starting with um, uh, Saint Pius the Fifth. Um, is that Rome is trying to get involved in missionary activity again. And this is going to lead ultimately in 1622 to the creation of the um, Congregation for the Propagation of the Faith, um, which uh, has um, an extremely, extremely, extremely gifted secretary, whose name is Ingoli, who was secretary from the beginning down until the, uh, I think, 1649. And there's a tremendous effort on their part to 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 worm their way into trying to directly deal with the situation uh, in all of the missionary areas underneath Spain and Portugal's control. And Spain is always the better um, in, in this area. Portugal is 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 really reprehensible in, in 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 most cases here in this regard. And they they have A certain success um, in Spanish colonies when you get down to the latter part of the 1600s onwards, but it's always um, grinding of your teeth in order to deal with this uh, this thing. They have completely different um, a completely different attitude. The Congregation for the Propagation of Faith as to what should be done. It's an attitude that matches some of the initial um, uh, 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 visions of. The Franciscans in Mexico, who first go over there, and then the, um, the bishops in South America, uh, but which faded away from Spanish policy uh, afterwards, but very, very difficult to try to um, impose uh, their whole outlook on things.
2: Um, I was actually, as an aside, I was just reading uh, a few sure. days ago that the Congregation for the Propagation of the Faith, that's actually where we get the word propaganda from. Yeah. The, the idea of uh, teaching, or of, of spreading information.
1: Right, right, first, right. it wasn't a bad term. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And by the way, just one thing is a footnote to add with, uh, to this. It doesn't really have uh, a, a serious impact in the Spanish colonization. But to add a footnote to it, um, the, the later Catholic power that got involved in colonial activities, France, is going to be a center for producing missionaries that are going to have um, uh, less chance, obviously, to be able to work uh, in areas like like, uh, those underneath French and Portuguese control directly. So propaganda tends to work together with French missionaries coming out of Paris and then try to utilize them to see if they can um, uh, beat down the system as it exists. And there's a lot of run-ins, especially with the Portuguese areas. Sure. So
2: again, good then going back to that's kind of the, the background story of what's happening in Rome and what the church is trying to, to do and oversee at the time. What so then moving back in, in time again to this these initial contacts by missionaries with these indigenous people, what what did those missionary efforts look like initially and, and how did that
1: progress over time? Well, okay, again, to start off with the ones who went to the West Indies. Um they, like I said, they 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 focused on the the miserable uh, behavior of the Sp- the Spanish who were there, and uh, the Indian population was dying off. So that uh, I mean, it was it was almost non-existent uh, very quickly because of disease, uh, probably primarily disease, but then also they claimed um, the, the critics' maltreatment. But then um, it's the Franciscans who are the ones who go to Mexico. And uh, the conquistador in Mexico, Cortes, was a man who did have a certain sense of uh, of his religious responsibilities. Um, and the Franciscans who go out to Mexico, go out to Mexico with a very, 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 um, uh, what could you say, almost utopian vision. Um, the the first uh, group that goes out there, a serious group that out there, they refer to themselves as the 12. Um, and they see themselves as having this mission to deal with this unexpected, vast population. And it was large, the population, the Indian population in Mexico and then uh, in, in South America as well. They see this as um, something which is going to enable them to perhaps rebuild Christianity um, in a way that um, will will overcome the corruption that that, uh, Christianity has to deal with back in the old world in a new and better way. Because remember, you know, they go over there in 1521. This is before there's any serious effort outside places like Spain. Spain was uh, very much in the throes of an incredibly uh, serious reform already for for some decades in the 1520s, but the rest of Europe was in in bad shape, and they saw themselves as having a responsibility to go in there and do uh, something good. Now this is where they ran into their first debate um, with uh, with uh, the Dominicans who were in the islands, because the Franciscans who went into Mexico um, were quite happy with. Mass baptisms, mass baptisms um, right off, right, you know, right off the bat, there were were one or two of them who disagreed with it. Uh, The first the first um, bishop of Mexico, Zumarraga, was very much in favor of it. But but probably the greatest scholar among the Franciscans, who is a man named uh, Bernardino de Sahagún, didn't think it was a wise idea, but nevertheless, it was done. I mean, there were these millions baptized. And the idea was that um, you were going to bring them in, you know, you're going to bring them in and then work on them. Now, um, even even Sahagun, who didn't think it was a wise idea, but was 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 stuck with it. You know, it was done. um, He agreed with the Bishop of Mexico that this policy had to be accompanied by a um, destruction. A very serious destruction of all of the temples, all of the idols, uh, uh, immediately. And they do engage in this. They engage in a mass destruction of temples and idols. And they even use uh, measures like um Savonarola had used in uh, in Florence by recruiting youth among the uh, uh, the Aztecs. Uh, in order to um, uh, punish their elders for maintaining any kind of connection with uh, with the old religion, but they also, had, uh, however, had another policy um, that was interesting because Sahagun was a tremendous scholar, and uh, he learned he learned the native language. Uh, what is it? Nahatwal. I forget exactly here. Pronounced pronounce Nah Nahatwal. I think I have it written down here uh, somewhere. And um, but Sagun discovered that there were 155 different languages that were being spoken among all of the Indians. And he said that, yes, the temples had to be destroyed and the idols had to be destroyed. But you could not destroy uh, all of the sources of their culture because you had to study what this culture was all about, including the religion. I mean, the places where the religion was practiced was one thing, but you had to study the languages, their stories, their history, their whole culture, because if you didn't do that, if you didn't do that, two things would happen. One is that you would, you would probably get all confused as to ways in which they might be utilizing Catholicism to actually masquerade a continuity with their old religion. In other words, a syncretism, which was not acceptable. And the only way you could know that is if you knew what their religion was all about. And secondly, you needed to know their culture and their languages so that what you could do is you could tap into the education of their existing elite and begin to train them not just as um, Catholics, but for, um, for, the, for ordination, for ordination. Because these initial Franciscans were thinking immediately of the need to train a native clergy. They wanted a native clergy uh, very, very quickly. Um, and um, this was something that, re- that led to the creation of a school which was based upon the kind of educational methods of the Aztec Aztec elite, except that would impart Christian culture, um, Catholic culture. And this went on for a couple of, a number of decades, but then it gets caught up in all of the other difficulties uh, that are taking place. um, And it's going to to suffer some, some, some troubles. There's a parallel kind of activity that ends up taking place in uh the area uh that um after after uh the um the uh, the crown in spain begins organization of all of these different con- conquests more clearly there's a parallel kind of activity that takes place in the in the area of what's called new granada um i mean you've got mexico i forget how far down mexico extends then you've got uh this area of um uh, of uh, part of Central America and the northwestern part of South America, which is focused around um, uh, the diocese of Santa Fe de Bogota, uh, which is going to have its own particular character. Um, and then you've got New Granada, which is the area more of Pizarro's conquests, and Lima is going to be the main center there. And there are very, there's very, very uh, serious bishops. Uh, for a period of time, a good, very long period of time, uh, Bishop Jerome of uh, Loyaza, uh, who's bishop between 1541, and 1581, and then Saint Toribio Alfonso de um, uh, Mograveo, Mo- I think his name is, from 1581 to 1606. And the latter of these two in particular is extremely, extremely active Um with um, with uh, the Indians as well as with the, uh, uh, the the Spanish population, the colonial population that moves uh, moves in, there are councils that are held. Um, there are um, visitations. Uh, Saint Toribio travels relentlessly um, to visit uh, mountain areas, He'd visit the Indian population, and he too is very keen on um, learning languages um, and uh, seeking to try uh, to build some kind of native clergy. But there as well, uh, it ends up getting um, uh, sucked into all kinds of difficulties involving the debates with the government and then the various groups that are that are that are uh, living there in these these distinct regions.
2: Well, also just from a purely practical standpoint, in order to build goodwill between the people that you are trying to teach, it's not a bad thing to accept some of the customs and some of the cultures. I was talking on a podcast a couple of years ago with Father Summers, who is the district superior of Asia, and he said in right. India, when they when SSPX priests do wedding ceremonies there, they don't exchange rings uh, because that's not part of the culture. They exchange necklaces, and Father right. Summers said our priests bless the necklaces using the Roman ritual, we bless those necklaces using the same formula, we just substitute the word rings for necklaces. There's no problem with that. That's not an issue. No. And you know, Father, you know, the, the Spanish missionaries, the the uh, native people there would make these monstrances out of reeds and grass, mostly mm-hmm. gold, you know, you can't put the host in there. No, that was the best they had. That was
1: what they worked for. That's what they presented to Father. Father used it. That's, right that's a beautiful thing right right well again uh the congregation for the Prop- uh, propagation of the faith also was very eager to promote this kind of activity but it is pretty much squelched um in uh the spanish colonies after the 1550s in uh mexico and then um and then it it kind of fades away uh the the the, the work in this regard after the death of Saint Toribio in the early 1600s, uh, and you under you, you go into kind of doldrum after that um, until at least in the Mexican area of the Spanish colonies, there is this reinvigoration um, of uh, missionary activity through the Franciscans, and then uh, also uh, in a separate way, the Jesuits who come into the picture just a little bit later on after the uh, Dominicans and the Franciscans, along with the Augustinian hermits and, and other people. Um, but there's a reinvigoration of um, Indian missionary activity uh, after 1683 in Mexico because they're, they're, they they managed to get the foundation of a college um, that is guided by the spirit of the Congregation for the Propagation of the faith in in Mexico. And um, uh, there's a revival, especially among the Franciscans. But but again, there's all kinds of interim battles and battles that continue onwards and then take a quite different turn um, uh, in in terms of the the quarreling that takes place after the change of dynasty in Spain from the Habsburgs to the the Bourbon and then um, changes in policy that also affect uh the entrance of enlightenment ideas into the into the councils of the government but that's getting to the latter part of the Spanish colonial period sure um all
2: right, so else, as uh, these settlements are getting set up you know we have the clergy who are working with the indigenous population we have the soldiers who are setting up their own settlements um and the clergy are probably needing to minister to both and they're probably in a lot of time stuck between a rock and a hard place uh in terms of in terms of uh preaching to to the native population right. You know, they don't want to be seen as too friendly to the the colonizers right the, the soldiers who are doing some of these awful things but then they're trying to colonize to it's it they're going to be really stuck and it's going to be uh i'm sure there's a lot of conflict between these spanish settlements and these native settlements how 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 the missionary is going to manage this
1: well well it, it is complicated but let me let me give you as, as best i can a kind of summary of it and remember that there's differences depending upon different areas all right but here's how the whole thing in effect started and in saying some of the things i have to say remember that there's debate in catholic circles about the legitimacy of some of these things as well that then get played out um and answered um in Various discussions that take place once the complaints come back to Spain, um, and you have meetings of the Council of the Indies and uh, assemblies that gather in Granada and Valladolid and other areas. And there's the so-called new laws that are created. Um, but in any case, to begin with, what what um, uh, in the earliest stages uh, the argument was was that you would read this, um, statement to the Indians who, I don't know how the Indians would have been presumed to understand what you were saying to them, but you'd read a statement, which was called the Requerimiento. and the Requerimiento was a description of the fact that, um, uh, the King of Spain was laying claim to these lands for himself and also for Christ. And, um, you were going to be treated extremely well, you know, but if you uh, refuse to accept the rule of the King of Spain and the teaching that was coming through Christ, then you would be considered to be enemies. And then you could be, um, in effect, um, in effect, I mean, you might as well just say the word enslaved because you could be um, uh, just just simply considered to be conquered, uh, conquered uh, individuals. And then what they um they they did, and this is what what they did in the in the Indies, is they set up these settlements, which were called encomiendas, um, or they they just simply took over the Indian settlements, and the encomiendas were basically uh, in, um, in effect, feudal holdings in which uh, the Indians were just expected to work, they were just expected to work. and it's how they were treated that the Dominicans complained about um, when they really begin to work in the 15 teens. And they went back to Spain and complained about it. And in complaining about it, what happened is that um, uh, the the system of uh, maintaining these uh, Indian settlements underneath the control of the uh, colonists as a kind of feudal holdings was upheld Um, underneath the argument that the Indians were lazy and they needed to be uh, guided. Uh, But there was a kind of uh, tacit admission that the complaints were correct. The complaints were correct. Then what happens is that there's further discussions in this regard. Uh, uh, The Dominicans, by the way, did not like the Franciscan swift uh, uh, baptism idea. The franciscans therefore complained about the dominicans uh, pope paul iii said that he didn't think this is by the 1530s that swift baptisms should continue uh, but the ones that were done already were licit already they were licit already so he kind of veered into uh the the, the battle there, arguing on the uh the dominican side but what ended up happening was that Charles V, who was still the king of Spain at this point, it's in 1538 that Paul III entered into the picture. And he also complained about the way uh, Indians were being treated. Uh, Charles V then intensified his claims to having Spain alone guide what was going to be done um, in the new world, but then moved on to create these so-called new laws in 1542. Um, And the new laws are even more intense in um, arguing about the need for the proper treatment of of the Indians, right? The need for the proper treatment of them in a way that, by the way, is I think the most, it is is extraordinary, I think, the open, public, serious debate that the Spanish government um, encourages um, uh, uh, about what it is that that needs to be done here. And this continues um, into the, uh, in, fi- in the 1550s, there uh, 1550, 1551, 52. There is a, an assembly at Valladolid in which there's a confrontation of uh, people like um, de las Casas and uh, another figure of uh, a, cler- a member of the clergy who was a, uh, a kind of a leader of uh, the much more, um, much more, uh, rigorous uh, camp in terms of treating the the Indians uh, and um, and there's there's really really open discussion of all of these matters, but what ended up happening is that the 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 tendency then uh, uh, moved over to arguing that well you know insofar as you've got these encomiendas um, they can continue but the better situation would be if you had separate settlements. You had uh the 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 cities of the of the um of the, the Spanish, and then you had the cities of the Indians, right? And uh, then there was the argument, well, maybe the cities of the Indians ought to be, in effect, grouped um in a way that could encourage their uh, their better uh evangelization, in which case you hear people talking about. To start with what they call doctrinas, a doctrina would be a settlement of the Indians that would um, that would be kind of special as a training camp and center. Or with the Jesuits later on, they're called reductions um, in which, you know, large numbers of people are settled. Um, but there were and there are debates and there are different there are different um Examples of all of these methods being utilized. One um, bishop, one major bishop um, whose name is Kiroga, he um, sets up his center as a diocese. Uh, I think it's the diocese of Michoacan um, in an Indian settlement. In an Indian settlement, um, but that's not that common. I don't. I don't think. Um, it's more the case that you have. Uh, the religious orders, like the Franciscans working in uh, Indian centers with the diocese being uh, in in areas that are Spanish dominated, uh, even though there's going to always be, um, you know, Indians mingled in. And again, remember that there's there's millions of these Indians. I mean, there's a lot of Indians. And oh, another one of the debates was, who were they? You know, who were they? Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and uh, there were, you know, one of the arguments when they first encountered them, uh, you know, it, it evokes what the the Mormons come up with later uh, that maybe they're they're the remnants of the lost tribes of Israel. Um, maybe they're <laughs> maybe they're this. There was that. There was the, there were others who argued that um, um, no 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 they were just uh, they were just these savages. Um, Others argued, no, 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 they're they're people who are not really savages, obviously, because they've got all of these uh, magnificent um, uh, towns that they had built up. Um, And some of them argued that um, they were natural monotheists who really uh, were eager to hear about the one true God because they themselves had a monotheism, which was totally wrong. Um, I mean, Sahagun knew this was not correct, and insofar as you uh, don't know the culture and you think that this is correct, you're going to set yourself up for all kinds of troubles uh, in the future. And by the way, there are a lot of troubles. You know, let, 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 me, let me just mention one other thing before I forget it. Here, um, one of the one of the um, uh, sad elements that um, develops. Uh, in Mexico, early on, is that they ab- abandon the idea of building a native clergy, and Ingley, that secretary that I mentioned taking over at the congregation from the very beginning, Ingley was was very very much um, upset upset by this, very much upset by this because we're never he says we're never going to have a serious church um, in uh, the Indian areas until we have an, a, a native Indian clergy, but they they abandoned that idea. There's more of a pursuit of it um, in um in the area of New Granada because of the activities of Santoribio and the like, but even there, you know, it's it's minor um really. And then uh, the Indian situation down in uh New Granada gets uh really, really um unpleasant because of The opening of this huge silver mine, uh, the Potosi mine, um, where um, you have forced labor on the part of the um, the Indians in a way that, you know, much of the clergy, uh, including the bishops in Lima, Uh, uh, are horrified by, but some of the clergy is not because it says, uh, as one one Franciscan argued, he'd said, it's it's the riches of the Potosi mind that fuel the defense of Christianity elsewhere. So there's a a lot of trouble there. But then the other thing uh, that I know of in Mexico, I'm not quite certain how much, how extensively it was carried out uh, uh, elsewhere in um, other parts of the Spanish colonies. I have to get this cat Out of my life, that's crawling on my lap as I'm talking. (laughs) But um, but um, uh, in Mexico, they decided that the Indians should not be able to go to communion. They couldn't go to communion. Mm -hmm. Um, There would be the long, long time before they could uh, uh, go to communion, and it's unclear to me exactly how long that uh, that lasted. But but in general, what ends up happening is that. The Indians. This is particularly. Uh, I'm, I'm. I'm more familiar with this in the whole area of Mexico. the The Indian expression of their their Catholicism is something which is expressed in confraternities. They create confraternities that are very active in the Indian um, the Indian cities and the Indian settlements, and the confraternities also develop. All kinds of activities such as mutual help societies, uh, in effect, banks as well. So that leaders from among them called fiscales um, become very important. And here's something that then emerges that um, becomes a great concern in Mexico in the 1600s, once again, and then also down in um, other areas of Spanish, Spanish colonies. that. Um, that um, uh, a number of the missionaries knew understood that pre um, pre uh, Christian religion in South America involved a, a lot of processions from one place to another. There were sacred spirits and sacred places, and you could easily disguise Catholic processions, Catholic um, sites such as Guadalupe. Um, and then other areas, um, you can easily disguise, uh, uh, pre-Christian behaviors underneath what looked on the outside, on the outside as being Catholic ones. Um, they had these, um, spirits, I think they're called Huacas, um, in, in, uh, in, in, in the Aztec world. Um, uh, but it's similar elsewhere that, that, um, that uh, could take on saints' names or or, uh, various kinds of of Christian Christian themes uh, so that there are, are, uh, at times, renewed efforts to extirpate superstition um, that that are undertaken by bishops in Mexico and in Lima and, and, and other areas. Then there's another group, by the way, we haven't even talked about. One of the things that the, uh, Las Casas suggested as the Indian population died off that he very, very much repented of later on was the fact that he said, um, that blacks should be brought in, um, to, to, to do the work that the Indians couldn't do. And then, like I said, he repented of that. He said he didn't know whether God would forgive him for this, but then there's a big black population that then dominates in uh, the, the islands where the Indians had died off. And also in the areas of um, of uh, uh, present day uh, Bolivia and uh, Venezuela. And the way in which the blacks were dealt with, uh, with the exception of of, uh, you know, certain very, very important figures like Saint Martin Torres and and the like, is 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 much, much, much more um, haphazardly than the Indian population. Um, it, it, it just depends upon uh, the the group or the uh, the individual um, who might be moved by their plight. Um, the Indians are much, much more taken care of than the blacks are. I, the more we're talking about the moment, is kind of, a, this is a
2: mess. Um, <laughs> and, and it's probably, not probably, I'm sure it was, made all the worse because again, communication at the time obviously not as good as we have today. And so uh even if the Spanish government did have everyone's best interests at heart, which at times they didn't and Portuguese didn't. Um
1: the Spanish government is much better. As a government it yeah. is much better. Much, okay. much better. And if it had, had a full control um over what went on, um it 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 probably would have been eventually more effective, but then there are other battles, which you can ask me about later.
2: Yeah. Well, that was kind of getting you know, to my point. You just said, if they were able to oversee it better, it would have been better, but they weren't because there's going to be, by necessity, some degree of autonomy among the, I assume they would be called governors, the governors of these, these locations, these new settlements, and I'm talking about the, the secular governors, um, and so there's going to probably be some conflict, I would assume, between these governors and then back to the homeland, um, between the way to do things and the way not. And the governors are probably going to say, I mean, just knowing basic military colonization history, the governors are going to say, I know what's happening on the ground. You let me decide, and the you know the headquarters back home is going to say no. And there's going to be that conflict, and it's going to make things even more complicated.
1: Well, what, what what seems to have taken place is that in order to try to give the crown um a greater um ultimate authority, um the, the crown seems to have encouraged battling um in their their colonies in the New World between the men that they named as viceroys, or there were other terms for them at Viceroy. different places, and um, the, um, the, uh, the, the, the bishops and archbishops with oh, the, gosh. if they were fighting with one another, uh, the crown would be better suited to making an ultimate decision if they're battling. Oh,
2: come on!
1: So that there's a lot of battles, a lot of battles between, for example, the archbishop of Mexico and then the viceroy who'd be on the spot there. Um, and sometimes if it, if it, if, if this is too counterproductive, what will happen is that um, the government back in Spain will allow the the archbishop to be the the political figure as well. So there's battling that takes place um, uh, between them. But then in addition to that, there's there's an addition to uh, something else, which uh, is a corollary of the introduction of all the different religious uh, orders into this area. There's battling among the religious orders for um, for uh, control over uh, given settlements and the like, there's battles between the religious orders and the secular clergy, underneath the bishop's control, um, and then there's battling uh, between the um, the the uh, population, the Spanish population that's born there after the initial um, uh, movements to 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 the colonies, the so-called creoles and the Spanish who come later, or the Spanish who are there temporarily, either as a a bishop or as a missionary or as a political figure, who are referred to as the peninsulares. So that um, you've got problems, and then the the difficulties of whether you're a Creole or a Peninsulare are then entered into um, uh, what happens within the Franciscans, Dominicans, Jesuits, uh, or or, uh, the government as well. For secular clergy as well. <laughs> I
2: mean, and, and we do sort of have, we have a, a, for lack of a better term, a caste system that's already happening in Spain at this time. And so when the new wave of Spain, like you were saying, new wave of Spanish missionaries or governors are coming in, they're going to see people of mixed race as less than. that's was well, happening in
1: Spain at the time, too. Right. But the thing is that there's more troubles uh, with the Spanish authorities. Um, or, or the um, religious figures, missionaries, whoever they might be, bishops. Uh, there's more problems uh, between them and then the local Spanish population. In other words, in other words, uh, it's the, the local Creole population is more likely to uh, want to uh, not treat the Indians um, uh, with a fair deal. The ones coming in from Spain are usually more likely to want to treat them with a fair deal. Uh. The religious orders are more likely to want to treat the religious uh, to the the Indians with a fair deal. The secular clergy um, tends to be overwhelmingly recruited from the Creole population. And the Creole population is not, shall we say, particularly Tridentine minded in its sense of um, what members of their family should go into the clergy. If there's too many boys, shove them into the clergy just to get rid of them, whether they have a vocation or not. Um, and um, and there tends to be more and more um, uh, an excess of um, of clergy uh, in these Spanish cities that are just not needed. They're just not needed. A city like Lima i think you know with the religious houses that they have and the secular houses i think i read something to the effect that oh i don't want to exaggerate it but that the majority of the population was ultimately involved either uh as religious or 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 members of the secular clergy or working for houses that belong to them um and that, that 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 that's a problem there yeah so
2: we mentioned this a little bit before there's going to be conflicts as well between the different religious orders we have the franciscans we have the dominicans and then we have the secular clergy so kind of these three groups of, of uh consecrated life that are, that are going to be all working for
1: somewhat similar but very different ends at the same time right right yes now what happened i mean for example i mentioned that uh, the um uh, the the franciscan's for example in mexico um who are doing the bulk of the work with um with uh, evangelizing the indians they um they ran into problems when this bishop named Palafox came in in the 1600s from spain and um Palafox was a um, a man who uh yeah you know as a as a bishop was a serious bishop and a reform minded bishop but he he did not like the religious orders um, like a lot of bishops did not like them because they felt that they had too much autonomy uh uh and there was not enough control of the uh you know, on the part of the bishops, so that he uh in particular disliked the Jesuits in fact, in the whole history of the suppression of the Jesuits, which is one of the um horror stories at the latter part of the Spanish colonization, along with um, it being a horror story everywhere in the world. Uh, Palifax's arguments against the Jesuits uh, play a major role, even though he was earlier on in the 1600s. And he, he also um, had too great of a uh, an estimation of what the secular clergy could do in Mexico. And so what he did is he... Um, deprived um, the secular, the religious, of control over uh, their 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 settlements, their 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 work in the Indian uh, cities and residences, and put them in the hands of the secular clergy. that was heavily Creole-dominated. That wasn't really that much interested in doing the work out there because it meant learning the languages. They, they saw it more as a kind of means of getting um, some extra cash. And so the missions declined. And that's why I mentioned before there's a revival later, because later on, the congregation for the propagation of the faith manages to worm its way in and gain control once again of missionary um, activities, especially in the more outlying regions in Mexico, the ones that extend over uh, to The border regions of the United States now um, and Mexico and then also California, uh, which was underneath Mexican control at the time. And the Jesuits get involved in the picture there Uh, again. There's lots and lots of fights um, of of this sort, which are which are disturbing. Uh, But then, you know, some of these places remain successful until political issues intervene, as with the, the Jesuit reductions. Um, which are uh, mostly in the um in the southern part of the Spanish holdings, you know the area of present day Paraguay uh, borders of argentina and 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 the like. Um, but the religious orders in general, I mean they they did a lot, they did a lot and there are serious um, there I mean there are serious believing Indians who are not uh, overwhelmed by syncretist temptations, and then in, in the Spanish areas, of course, there were the creation um, of uh, there was the creation of an entire university system, um, which was uh, something very very serious very early on. Although it then becomes uh, the source of the bane of Latin America's uh, uh, existence once. The uh, we reached the latter stage of Spanish colonization, and then the government does try to intervene more vigorously in guiding affairs over there and does so in line with policies that are ultimately uh, pro-enlightenment and anti-Catholic. And that's that's something which is very much the case from 1750 onwards. Um, um, Yeah, it is. This is this is a wild story.
2: So. What about the, so we've talked about Spanish quite a bit, we've talked about the Portuguese a little bit, we've touched on the French and the English, what are the, it's it's interesting because there's going to be different temporal reasons for each of them to be there, they're all going to be under the control of their secular leaders, but then, like you said, once the uh, uh, propagation of the faith, uh, the congregation of the propagation
1: of the faith comes around, then everyone should be on the same page, right? I'm guessing no. No, 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 because because again, what ends up happening, there's always, always, always uh the desire on the part of the state uh to retain um retain control, even when there are at times good good people who are serious Catholics who are, are eager for um for doing uh a proper evangelization. There's there's always you know local ties of um of, of uh of the secular clergy in particular but even even the the regular clergy uh if they have good relations with the, the local state um with um, with the government as opposed to the the church I mean the Jesuits for example they adopt different policies in different different areas they become very pro-state in France where the French government when the French government is under their is 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 favors them um so they favor a lot of the policies of louis the 14th who is uh, being chastised by popes um there's a lot of spanish who are in favor of spanish government control um even when for example uh the chief theorist from among the clergy about um uh, the governance of dioceses in the spanish colonies has his books uh put on the index by rome um you know there's a lot of battling over there but then the the situation really really gets hair raising when um the governmental policies become um anti anti catholic and they do first um in in portugal um and those anti catholic policies uh become then very much anti jesuit because the jesuits are so important in um, the uh, Portuguese areas of colonization uh, and activity, um, and then um, a little bit later on uh, with the with the spanish um, with the Spanish, um, so that you've got devastating attacks on all of the sorts of groups that uh, in the mind of secularizing enlightenment uh, authorities, I've uh, got all sorts of attacks on on every kind of religious order and what they do and what they teach and what um, what um, the universities should teach and uh, what this means for um, state laws and what areas of uh, social life should be under state control um, and um, and then you get ultimately um, uh, the dissolution of 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 religious orders, in particular, the Jesuits in ways that have incalculable effects on um, uh, what happens in the for the future of Latin America. Horrible from in the span in in the Portuguese areas from the 1750s onwards and the Spanish areas from 1760 in, I, I shouldn't say from 1767 onwards in one fell swoop in one blow in 1767 all the jesuit missionary activities wiped out just wiped out um you know and then the the effects on in terms of what is being taught in universities and on what the religious orders can and cannot do i mean that's also badly destroyed from the 1750s onwards wow that's wild
2: um we've been talking a lot about what's happening in the in the colonies in the world itself but then back over in the old world, we have this big shift that's happening. We have the shift from the Habsburg dynasty to the
1: Bourbon dynasty. Right. Um, how does that impact what's happening over in the new world? Well, I mean, it's it it impacts it gradually um, due to the fact that the Bourbon had uh, a much much more effective um, control over the state uh, in France. From the time of um, well Richelieu onwards, but then even more underneath um, uh, Richelieu working for Louis the but then um, infinitely more underneath Louis the Fourteenth um, onwards, they had they had a much tighter control over um, over state affairs. Uh, but then, when the War of the Spanish Succession, then the Habsburgs did, and when the War of the Spanish Succession took place, and a Bourbon. Uh, one of the, the grandchildren of Louis XIV was able to take over in Spain. Um, then uh, the system that was being used by uh, by uh, the state in, in in France was was. Uh, There's an attempt made to impose its various regulations there as well in a way that would affect the um, uh, the colonies. Now it takes time. It takes time, and it takes time before the governing, um, ethos is one that's motivated by, uh, secularizing enlightenment ideas. I mean, uh, Louis the 14th, uh, and, uh, his, uh, his, his system of government involved a lot of state control, but not in a way that, um, was aimed down anti-Catholic, uh, down an anti-Catholic direction, um, in general. But when you get um, the uh, influence of the Enlightenment really entering into uh, government, governing ideas, and that's very much the case uh, all over the place um, among, uh, by that point, the Habsburg dynasty as well in Austria, uh, but the Bourbon in, in Spain and in France and, uh, and other places that they ruled, Habsburgs and other places that they ruled. After the War of the Austrian Succession, then there's this effort to try to tighten up control over everything um, in uh, in the colonies. Um, one thing that most um, most Catholics don't know is just how much um, what we call what historians call moderate Enlightenment ideas uh, gained a dominant influence in um, intellectual circles and in religious orders as well in the catholic world um starting in uh really the 1730s uh, and the reason is the reason is that uh that there was an awareness there was an awareness that there was a very very radical atheist um uh kind of root and branch attack on uh, on Christianity and also on the existing way of governing things, um, in a way that could lead down to a, 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 a total democratization uh, as well as secularization of government, that came through um, Spinoza, um, the arguments of Spinoza and Spinoza's followers, uh, which are which are going to be also promoted by. Uh, the um, the people who were in charge of the French encyclopedia, like Denis, uh, uh, Denis Diderot, uh, from the 1740s onwards, uh, and uh, there was a way in which the supporters of people like um, like Newton and um, John Locke uh, and others who were anti Spinoza and claimed that they were really pro-religion um, and anti-atheist, um, uh, it, it, it rebounded to their benefit uh, because people like Newton um, and people like Robert Boyle, who was a great chemist, and uh, the like, people who were connected with the foundation of the Royal Academy in London, with the whole Whig movement um, in, um, in England, they said that they were, they were very much against atheism and what they wanted to do is they wanted to protect religion and they wanted to protect tradition. But the way in which you had to do this was to, um, was to back off of fighting about uh, doctrinal disputes. Um, you had to back off in a way that allowed to use Locke, you know, religious toleration. You had to back off all of this stuff and instead recognize, and you can, you know, get a sense of this when you think of people like Newton, recognize that God and God's laws and and Christian morality, they can all be really learned by just simply focusing your attention on probing nature and nature's laws and scientific laws of nature and um, uh, gaining from them everything that you can gain in order to be able to put um, the lessons that you learn in, in, to use in order to feed the hungry and um, cure the sick um, in a way that's not divisive, but which is really demonstrating a commitment to Christian charity in its its fullness. And this idea that the best way to promote Christianity and Christian morality was to back off of doctrinal fights, you know, just do things Morally, in a way that we all understand in a kind of common sense fashion, uh, by just dedicating ourselves to um, well, in a way that you can see, you know, spelled out in Poor Richard's Almanac. You know, early to bed, early to wise, wash, work, um, do that. That that really takes hold as something which is going to please God, fight atheism, defend the existing order of things. Um, And then somehow or other allow whatever particular religious denomination that you're you're part of to continue. Um, And this gains a hold in England. And then Voltaire was the man who translated this stuff to the continent. And it was promoted in Catholic circles as well. We don't need you know, you, you know what this brings us down to once again. It's like an early taste of what we did with Vatican II. Yeah. I was just thinking that
2: exact same thing. It's, it's the same playbook over again.
1: We can all be friends. It's a question of just living together pastorally with one another and doing the stuff that we all as good Christians know needs to be done. You don't have to worry about this doctrinal stuff. Um, So it got a real hold and it got a real hold in Rome. It got a real hold in, 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 in all of the religious orders. Uh, The Jesuits became uh, fascinated with this and became very friendly. Well, the Jesuits taught Voltaire. They're the ones who taught him. Um, Yeah. And um, and then it became very much uh, the kind of governing spirit in uh, some of the other religious orders, especially the Benedictines. And I'm bringing up the Benedictines uh, in particular because Benedictine monks were very, very important um, in Spain. And there's a a very, very great Benedictine scholar in Spain in the 1700s. His name is Feijo. Um, And he has this uh, massive work. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, the Universal Library or something of this sort. And he's very much a promoter of it's not that he denies Catholic doctrines. It's just that, you know, as a man of learning, What you do is you combine the Catholic faith in a practical fashion with what it is that is being learned scientifically um, on the natural level around us, which is being done through organizations like the Royal Society of London, founded in 1660, and then parallel groups that were founded, including in Spain in the 1700s through the aid of the Spanish government. And so you promote a lot of this stuff And so it's I think, as we we talked about in a previous discussion, um, it it ends up being the point by the time you get into the latter part of the 1700s that nobody wants to study St. Thomas Aquinas. Nobody wants to study the fathers of the church. Nobody wants to study any of these other stuff and these other things. What's really important is to just, you know, you know. Uh, sure. I mean, we all know what Catholic doctrine is, and we all know that, you know, nobody among the Protestants is arguing that it's morally OK to kill your grandmother. You know, we all share these ideas and exactly. now we just now simply focus on the stuff that's of practical benefit uh, to people. That's 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 really, really what we've we, we've got to do. And everything everything will work out fine in the future. Um, the th- it starts to change um, in learned Catholic circles once it becomes clear um, after 1748 um, that um, that uh, Catholic governments or the governments of Catholic countries who are horrified by the fact that they're losing politically and militarily out to Protestant countries like England and Prussia and other places, and therefore want to imitate everything that they're doing at a much, much more um, speeded up um, rate. Um, And then when it starts to become clear that uh, the moderate ideas uh, that that claim to be anti-atheist are actually creating more radical consequences to them. Um, Because as I think the greatest um, American um, teacher about the Enlightenment, a man whose name is Jonathan Israel, who's at Princeton, has pointed out, the moderate Enlightenment ideas always were nothing other than a holding action for the radical Enlightenment Mm -hmm. ideas. It was a means of keeping the situation calm so people didn't panic religiously and politically, um, while the radical consequences of what you were saying became more more and more clear. And a man like Voltaire, for example, uh, discovers bit by bit that in order to protect his basic enlightenment ideas, he's got to defend the radicals because uh, the logical thinkers among the Catholics and the Protestants can begin to see that the kinds of things he's saying really only have, um, they don't really have any kind of logical, um, uh, halt to them and they will get, they'll get more and more radical as you move along. And he himself and people like him get more and more radical. And some, and some, you know, figures in the Catholic world begin to see this, but they've basically allowed the, um, the religious orders and the, 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 the educational institutions and, uh, the universities uh, to uh, really go down this direction. Uh, and it's it's a bit too late to be able to try to gain control of them again, especially uh, if the state gets a hand in trying to guide them more fully. And then even when you do start to realize that uh, you got to change your tactic, well, I mean, uh, the Jesuits are suppressed and all their schools are taken away from them and their universities are taken away from them. And the other religious orders are coming underneath uh, the total thumb of state control um, as, as well. Um, I mean, in order to explain how the modern enlightenment just inevitably gives rise to the radical enlightenment, it's a whole other discussion that we can't really um, get into here. But, but the basic, basic problem in terms of the state and then the state as far as Spain is concerned Wanting to do whatever needs to be done in order for it to be with it and win politically and win militarily is that the state becomes more and more convinced that any focus on things supernatural has got to be squelched so that you can focus all of your intention on everything that's natural and develop what really counts in life, which is riches you know, and power in power in, in every regard. The only, the only battle that they're going to have in the Spanish colonies is that the Creole population in the Spanish colonies is going to be more and more upset by the fact that the government is spent in Spain wants to mobilize all of the resources of Latin America as a whole for the sake of purposes which are controlled from back in Spain as you get through the 1760s, 70s and 80s. And that's why when the opportunity came up with Napoleon's invasion of Spain um, after 1808, what happens is that um, uh, the the, the Creole population back in Latin America takes this as an opportunity to finally break free and do what they want to do. And what they wanted to do um, was always something which like we've we've indicated the 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 you know the reformed minded evangelical minded catholics whether they were seculars or religious they always felt was was you know really more designed to feather their own nests and to do what was best for the catholic faith and when you get into the late 1700s they that group is much much more influenced by Enlightenment ideas. And this is why um, uh, uh, organizations like the Freemasons, um, which were an integral part of the whole moderate Enlightenment from the very beginning, spread in Latin America and are very, very much uh, active uh, uh, and and leaders of the, the independent movement are Members of these Freemasonic groups and are active in uh, what uh, causes the break with Spain in the long run. So that was that
2: was going to be the next question. It seems like as as you were explaining the Enlightenment, it seems like these ideas are going to really start to to bring about the death of the the colonial powers having a foothold in the Americas. I mean, it certainly did with with the United States of America. That's the Enlightenment ideas, if I'm not wrong. You know, it's John Locke and those those uh, philosophers. Who brought out this idea of self determination and all that kind of stuff? And that's what caused the split with the United States from England, from Great Britain. Same yeah. thing is going to be happening once America breaks that foothold. Then, sorry, the United States breaks that foothold, then the rest of the colonies are going to say, "Hey, this is my opportunity." And it's what
1: early eighteen hundreds that all these dominoes start to fall, right? Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they 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 first when they start to fall, um, it's it's amusing because the independence groups claim that they're actually uh, taking control in their hands in order to defend the monarchy from uh, the French invasion. Uh, The monarchy tries to restore its control after the restoration of the monarchy in Spain. Then it becomes clear that the local forces don't want to be dominated from by, by, by Spain any, any longer at all. And, um, the influence of um, of, of uh, Enlightenment-minded Freemasonic, ultimately anti-Catholic forces, uh, manifests themselves very, very vigorously, um, uh, almost immediately. Almost immediately. I mean, the 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 amount of radicalism that um, is 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 going to be uh, expressed in Latin America uh, early early on. Um is something which is much stronger than than uh, its manifestation uh, in in places like the United States. You know, I mean, the radical stuff is much more limited in the colonies to people like Thomas Paine and a few of his followers and tends to get squelched in favor of the more moderate radicalism, which then, you know, festers until yeah. the blow And all of its teeth are shown in the unfortunate <laughs> era that we live in now. sorry i've got a to
2: truck to, oh, right now sorry um all right as we wrap up this discussion which has been fascinating i'm going to put you on the spot dr Rao. back 1492 early 1500s you're the pope emperor pope plus emperor whatever Let's let's make up a fictitious you're the emperor of the world how would you have done colonization better i know that's a huge question to ask but but where would you start where are the first couple of things you would do or changes you would make to make all of this because this was mess. This was this was a tragedy um, for a lot of people and best of intentions among the clergy and the religious but there were so many, you know, fight like we talked about fights between the church and the state fights between, you know, between different religious groups fights. How
1: would you fix it? How would you do it better? I don't I don't know if you could have done it better. You know, um, I I mean, the thing is that, that it is remarkable what the Spanish government does in terms of having an open discussion of all of these problems, an honest, open discussion of all of these problems. There are, um, there are uh, mistakes that are made on the part of all of the people involved. Like I said, the Las Casas at times exaggerates his arguments and then sees them utilized by um, by totally anti-Catholic forces in the long run. He himself came, comes up with this argument about bringing the blacks over in a way that he regrets later because of the slavery that's uh, intensified. It's just it's just I mean, you know, um, with Adam's sin, uh, you know, uh, Humpty Dumpty, putting Humpty Dumpty back yeah. together again is hard enough with all the uh, help of the grace that comes through Christ and, 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 uh, with the, uh, with, with the, uh, um, uh, the, the teaching of the, of the, of the new covenant, it's just very difficult. And I mean, you could say, for example, well, the French, the way they went about it, um, was very respectful to the Indian population there, but the Indian population was so limited um, in the French colony, uh, the French colonies in places like Quebec um, uh, and the like, and what they what they what they then encounter in the West Indies is already the 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 the, the awkward situation that um, um, existed from uh, the, the 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 period when the Indian population died died off. The Spanish have got this enormous enormous population. One one of the Jesuit there was a Jesuit theorist whose name was, I think, Acosta. Yeah, Acosta, who lived between 1540 and 1600. And Acosta came up with this argument. He said, there's, you know, there's a threefold approach. He said, one is the approach of what do you do when you encounter civilizations like the Chinese and the Japanese? And he said, and that's, you know, that's, that, that, what you're dealing with there is the same thing that the Christians had to deal with, with Greece and Rome. Um, you, you, you've got a, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a, that's one complete different phenomenon. Um, then you've got the situation like you're dealing with in Mexico or, or in Peru. And he says, that's a different civilization because, you know, you've got, you know, you don't have the same development of a written culture. Um, and yet, you know, that you've got, um, you've got an order of things there um, which is uh, which which requires that you approach what you' um, you're going to do with, um, uh, with very, very great prudence on um, yeah. certain natural respect, but not in the same odd way that you do with the Chinese and the Japanese. There's more that's flawed there. Um, and you know, quite frankly, what what the religious did in their various ways, um, was remarkable. I mean, you know, it is remarkable. I mean, when you look at what, um, then the Bishop of Lima, St. Toribio does, you couldn't have done anything more than that. Um, St. uh, St. Toribio, but then, and then his predecessor, uh, Loyaza, who was the Bishop of Lima, when the viceroy there at the time developed the, the mine at Potosi, um, he he claimed he was de- he said, I was deceived. I thought that they were doing something that was going to be for the benefit of everyone. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, it wasn't his words, but one other person at the time said what they did is they created living hell um, uh, in, in that that mind there. Um, uh, I, you know, it's 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 just very, very difficult. Um, what um, what the Franciscans did was magnificent. Um, in their reinvigorated, um, you know, m- uh, monastic activities, uh, not monastic, in their reinvigorated missionary activities in the Northwest, uh, because this is this is what leads to the work of um, Juan Pedro Serra as well. The Jesuits had a f- uh, figure. His name was um, Kino. Um, Kino was very active uh, in this region. I don't know what more you could have done, what more you could have done in this respect. Um, I suppose that you could say that it would have been better if you had been able to deal with everything the way in which uh, you dealt with things in um, China, in Japan to begin with. But then look what happened in China and Japan. You get an, an, a, the, 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 the changeover of the shogunate. You get the Tokugawa in who are total persecutors. And then you get the, um, the Manchus who are frightened of the missionaries and they ruined the missionary activity to a large degree for some time. I don't know what, what you could have done. I mean, um, um, you, you, you know that you've got the Great Commission and you've got to try to evangelize. You know you've got what you've yeah. got. Um, I mean, what do you do once you've done this? You've plunged in like they did in Mexico and you've baptized all of these 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 this vast this board of people. I mean, you can't then say, well, let's unbaptize them. Right. They try to figure out what you do. Um, and then, like you mentioned before with the communications, you can then create your new laws. Um, but then are the people on the spot really going to obey them? And then how do you go about punishing them? And, um, and how do you get all the means to be able to enforce everything? That you need to enforce when, 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 you know, it, it's it's the human dilemma is horrible. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, it it is, and and, and that's a sad thing because there's the work of of so many of these wonderful missionaries that's been overshadowed by the true atrocities of everything else that happened around them. You mentioned Father Kino, Father Ucillo Kino, uh, yeah. just to uh, the church that he built among many, many others uh, down in, in Tucson, San Xavier del Bac you go to some of those places and and it's a marvel at what they were it's able like to do
1: right, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um
2: and it's it's extraordinary but then again it's it's overshadowed and in some cases you kind of say yeah and rightfully show. so it was overshadowed because like yeah. you said the hell on earth of that of that mine it's it's hard to defend And and i think as we close and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. We're not trying
1: to defend those practices. No, those no, are no. horrible practices. Right, right. And and again, it's also not the case that that um, that um, uh, you know all of these colonists were in, in you know engaged in this activity. Right. Uh, uh, and it's 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 also this this horrible situation of what 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 does somebody do who was born a hundred years later after all of this been. Been done. I mean, um, it's it's um, it, it might be one of his grand grandparents or great grandparents who were involved in this, but that doesn't poison your work um, at all in the future
2: right um we're going a little long, so i'm going to ask you offline if you can send over some recommendations for some books for people to read for some more study um but we're we're going to put those in the show notes uh so if you're watching listening and you want to read more about this you'll be able to see dr Rao's uh recommendations there but thank you so much thank you for your time on this um on this fascinating story and we're going to talk next time about galileo i think right Uh, no bad popes is the next one
0: the next one okay fantastic Well, look forward to seeing you then thank you okay okay thanks thanks for listening to this episode of the apologetic series on the sspx podcast and on our youtube page please consider subscribing to the youtube account and the podcast on apple podcasts stitcher or wherever fine podcasts are found and please consider leaving a rating or a review on this podcast this will help to make sure more people can find this podcast and discover the beauty and the truth of traditional catholicism Until next time, thank you for joining us and God bless you.